So we're in Galatians 5, we'll read the whole chapter, and this is the word of God. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for these agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Amen. And we thank God today for Galatians chapter 5. Eight weeks ago I was waking up in Portrush with a whole summer ahead of me of freedom. I wasn't preaching, I wasn't doing anything, I was just going to be enjoying the golf. Didn't go near the golf, but I was going to be enjoying it, lying on the sofa. I was going to be wearing nothing but my vest and my shorts and my sandals for, for eight whole weeks. The summer opened up before me like a dream, like a vision, and now it's all gone. Next Sunday it's September and we're back to morning and evening worship and there's 
session meetings coming, oh what joy, and there's committee meetings, and there's all sorts of meetings, and suddenly the freedom that you had eight weeks ago just fades into the background as if it was never here in the first place. Folks, you've had moments like that yourself, haven't you? Do you remember that moment you, you broke up with that girlfriend, and she was doing your head in, you wanted to break up with her for about six months, you finally got the courage to, to kick her to the curb, and that joyous freedom... And then you worked all your life and you, you worked your fingers to a bone and you were tired out, but you finally got to that moment and you were tired and that, that joyous freedom just swept down upon you. Freedom is a wonderful thing. My first experience of it when it was I gave up delivering the Ireland Saturday nights from Mrs. Peace's shop in East Belfast. It was a pain in the neck. Your Saturday nights weren't your own. You were walking around the streets handing out these papers. I remember giving my, in my notice, working two more weeks for and then see that final Saturday night. Oh, I felt as if the world was my oyster. You see, the problem with any of that kind of freedom is that it doesn't last too long. Holidays come to an end. New jobs are necessary. New women come on the scene. New men, whoever it might be. None of that freedom lasts. It is always fleeting. But as Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And this is the key to this whole book. If you've not been in this service too much, listening to, to Galatians over the summer, and perhaps you're not familiar with the book, then you will know the whole crux of this book is the fact that these Galatians have been stirred up by Judaizers, and they're being encouraged to leave the gospel of grace to another gospel. And Paul says there's, there's no such thing as another gospel. You're leaving the gospel of grace to go to a gospel of works. A gospel that says, well, well, if you're a Christian, you must be circumcised. A gospel that says, if you're a Christian, you must follow days and feasts and dates and times and seasons. And Paul writes to these men and women and he says, no, 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 it's, it's by grace we have been saved. If we are Christ's, then, then we are not men and women who are born of the slave woman, as we heard last week. Our birth date was not on Sinai. Our birthplace was on Zion. We are not of chains. We are of grace and freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And as believers, when we understand that, that freedom, then it brings a liberty to the Christian's life. It brings a joyousness to the Christian life because we know that this is a lasting and eternal freedom that Christ has brought to us. You see, we're not free in Christ from a job that we don't like. We're not free in Christ from a relationship that's not going anywhere. We're not free in Christ from, from holidays that come to an end. We are free in Christ from sin, from the curse of sin, from the wrath of God, from the power of the devil, from all of those things that we know about and are revealed to us in Scripture. Christ has set us free. If we are free in Christ, and free indeed we are. My brothers and sisters, that is the reality this morning. Your chains are gone. If you know Christ as your Savior, then as we have been singing, you have entered into the family of God by grace. Your chains have fallen off, and you have been set free. Now, you might still be doing a job that you despise, and your relationships might not be perfect. And life at times may not be the, the wonderful, joy-filled thing that you once wanted it to be. But if you are in Christ, then free you are. Paul says this once more to the Galatians. For freedom, Christ has set us free. 
And he urges them then, as verse 1 continues, to stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You see, these Galatians were trying to have it both ways. They wanted the gospel of grace, but they, they wanted the gospel of the Judaizers. They were trying to keep a foot in both camps, and Paul wanted them to realize that, that this was just a nonsense. I say to you, in verse 2, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again, verse 3, to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. And indeed, the seriousness of this is highlighted in verse 4. You are severed from Christ. And this is the spiritual danger that these men and women are in. They, they have no room in their lives, according to the apostle, for a little bit of that gospel and a little bit of this false gospel. Paul says, look, if you are going to keep circumcision, if you're going to insist upon it as a matter of salvation, then you need to keep the whole law. You need to do it all. Don't just zero in on one wee part of it. If this is the path you're going to go, then try to keep the whole thing. But I warn you, if this is your path, then you're severed from Christ. You're cut off from Jesus. You who would be justified by the law, as verse 4 ends, you have fallen away from grace. Isn't that a horrific thing to think about? As, as men and women of faith today, we know that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And Paul says, look, if you follow the path of the false gospel and the Judaizers, you're falling away from the grace that has saved you. And folks, I would imagine, I would hope indeed, that there are not many of you sitting today that are going to come and speak to me and say, Scott, I, I think I need to be circumcised. I hope I never, ever have that conversation. But folks, if you are someone who, who perhaps has spoken like this at a time, someone says to you, well, you're a Christian, aren't you? And you say, well, yes, I am. I go to church. No, 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 no. That's not why you're a Christian. You can come and sleep in my garage. We, we leave the kids out there sometimes. You can come and babysit. But it doesn't turn you into a lawnmower or a car. If we speak like that, we've, we're missing the point. Are you a Christian? Yes, I say my prayers every day. No, 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 no. That's not what makes you a Christian. Saying your prayers every day. You're a Christian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep the commandments? No, no, again. That's not it. Why are we saved? We're saved because we have come to realize the depth of our depravity. We're saved because we have run from it. We've repented of that sin and we've put our faith in Christ. We're confident in him and his works. That's why we're saved. We're not Christians because of the commandments or, or because we say the Lord's Prayer every night or because occasionally we come to church. We are saved because of Jesus. And how are we saved in Christ? By grace, by faith, by Christ and the cross and the empty tomb. That's why we're Christians. That's why we're saved. And so, brothers and sisters, if you know that to be true, I urge you today to stand firm in that. And if you ever catch your language betraying the, the inward reality that increasingly you're relying more upon your works, then it's time again to flee to Jesus. And in your language, if you catch yourself increasingly realizing that you're growing very, very proud of the fact that that without fail, you say your prayers every day and you think, you know, pat on the back, what a good boy I am. It's time to flee to Jesus. You see, there's nothing wrong with praying every day. In fact, as we will see, we should. But when these things become 
the reason that we have in our lives for our confidence, for our abilities, for, for all that, we look to it and we say, that's what my life's all about, then, then folks, we have, we have lost the plot. I read a book once by a man called Gordon MacDonald, uh, more famous back in the day, back in the 80s, I suppose. But he had an affair and he, he cheated on his wife and he was going around uh, the world preaching and all the rest and, and taking his secretary with him and of course it was Gordon MacDonald so everything was going to be fine. But later he said when it all came out and, and when he uh, had to admit to having this affair, somebody asked, well how did it happen? He says, well I didn't have anybody to ask me, how was your soul? How was your soul? And that's the problem often, isn't it? Folks, we need people around us to say, I love you, brother, I love you, sister. But I think you're growing more and more confident in yourself. I think you're trusting more and more in the things that you do and in your abilities and, and the, the stuff that you're seen to do. How's your soul? Are you spending time in the presence of the one who has saved you? Are you constantly bending the knee before Jesus, realizing that it is only by grace that we can enter into his presence, realizing and accepting again that it is only by grace that we are children of God, not our abilities, not our works, but grace. Paul says, Christ has set us free, and so do not submit again to a yoke of slavery where you take stuff on your shoulders and find confidence in it, and you've misplaced your confidence. Verse 5, Paul says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And there is a summary of the Christian life. There is what it is to be a Christian, men and women who are saved by faith, and that faith is worked out every single day as we love one another. As we love God and as we love our neighbor, we are saved by grace. And as a result of that, the Lord uses us, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, to do good works. The works themselves do not save us. We are saved by faith in Christ. But that faith is worked out through love. A lot of that was shown this week in and around our town. These young people and others like them were, were doing that. They were cutting grass and and helping folk, and, and being nice to people, and, and doing all these good things, none of that adds to their salvation. But it shows their faith in Christ. It's, it's shown in love in this time. Paul says this is how you're to live. Not going on endless journeys, trying to be better, because, well, I never used to be circumcised, but I am now. That must mean something. Paul says, no. In Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but only faith working out through love. Folks, how is it then that we can, we can stand firm in this gospel of grace? Well, you may not like to hear this, and it's often a dirty word in the church, but what is it that you believe? You see, Paul reminds these men and women that they, they've run off course because of, of someone who has come in and who's twisted them and taken them away from the truth. Verse 7, he says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. 
Or in other words, says Paul, this persuasion has not come from God. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Verse 9, a little bit of heresy, a little bit of error, finds its way into the whole body, into the whole lump of the church. And so, my brothers and sisters, today as we rejoice in the fact that our chains are broken, we've been set free in Christ, we must guard against false teaching. We must be men and women who are in the word of God. We must be men and women who understand what it is we believe and why we believe it. I'm tired telling you this quite often, but when you come here and you sit and listen to me, I know I'm by far, by far the best bearded preacher in the PCI. I get that. I'm young. I'm gorgeous. I'm handsome. I get it. But don't you take my word for anything. Go home. Read your Bible. Study it. Ask yourself is Scott uh, keeping a true witness here to this? Is, is that book I read over the summer on the beach, is it, is it true? And it's a big Christian author from America, but is it true what he says? Folks, you always need to be on your guard because a little error can make you run off course. But Paul says, as I say to you, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever it is. Paul doesn't pull punches here. He's not prepared to tolerate the false teachers in the church, for he knows what is at stake. And that is the reality, isn't it, folks? Often when we see those nice Jehovah's Witnesses down the town and those nicer Mormons, and I have three daughters. My daughter's brought home a handsome big Mormon. Part of me thinks, happy days. Good-looking fella lives in America. But he's a false teacher your problem. He's a false teacher. And at times you think, oh, it's not very nice to say that, Scott. They're nice guys, but they're preaching error. And Paul has already pointed out here the problem. These Galatians have started to believe the nonsense that the Judaizers are preaching, and they run the risk of being severed from Christ. Folks, if you know someone who, through false heresy and teaching, is, is causing Christians to fall away, causing Christians to believe lies and myths and error. But you don't go and scream and shout and swing punches, but have nothing to do with those individuals. Paul is confident that these individuals will be dealt with. And he says, even in verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. And that seems like incredibly extreme language from the apostle. But what he is saying is, I wish they would have nothing to do with the church. In Deuteronomy 23 and verse 1 we read, No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Paul knew his Bible back to front. He was from Judaism. He knew Deuteronomy. As he says here, I wish they would emasculate themselves. He's saying, I wish they would be no more a part of you. I wish they would not come into the presence of God. I wish they would not be part of your services. I wish they would not impress upon you this false teaching, this gospel of works. It is dangerous. And it leads you away from your freedom, back to chains. It brings you from Zion back to Sinai. And Paul wishes that these individuals would be done. Because, brothers and sisters, we were called not to works, not to a yoke of slavery, but we were called to freedom. Verse 13. Isn't it funny sometimes that as Christians we can seem the most 
frustrated and angry people on God's green earth. Christians, you bump into them down the town, they find out you're a Presbyterian and they're suddenly grumpy face. Or you bump into other Christians and they'll say hello to you in one sort of meeting, but they'll not say hello to you in another because people are watching. And even your own life, you're, you're a Christian, you've been set free and you know it's all of God's grace and yet you'll wake up tomorrow morning and you'll be raging with your husband. You're not sure why, but you're just going to be raging with him. It's not how we are sometimes. A lot of husbands smiling and nodding. Boys, you have a lot to put up with. I know, I'm like you. Why is it at times that as Christians we, we live a life that just seems like drudgery? And you know Christians like that, don't you? Heads are always bright red and they never seem to smile and they don't seem to want to have fellowship with anybody. Christian life, it's chains and anger and frustration. Paul says, no, it's freedom. It's freedom, it's liberty. Here's the Christian life, he says. You, you use your freedom not as an opportunity for the flesh, verse 13, but through love to serve one another. There's your liberty, there's your freedom. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's your Christian life. If you live biting and devouring one another, watch out, says Paul, that you're going to be consumed by one another. Instead, the Christian walk, the Christian life, how we live in church is to love one another through service. And folks, that is a challenge at the start of a new church year. There's some of you, I think, have, have arthritis and you've had it since you were children because you don't lift a finger in this place. It's time to lift a finger. It's time to serve one another. It's, it's time to pour out your, your faith and your love into the lives of other people. It's time to encourage. It's time to build up. It's time to, to do the things that, that nobody else wants to do. It's time to serve coffee before tea or before church. It's time to, to spend a bit of time together. And you want to rush home and get the, the lamb out of the oven. I know that. It's time to chat. It's time to serve your next door neighbor. It's time to show your faith and, and your liberty and your freedom in work. The Christian life is not law-keeping drudgery, but it is freedom in Christ and it is walking by the Spirit. Paul says in verse 16 that this is the Christian walk. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will therefore not gratify the desires of the flesh. We do not lead uh, ourselves into sin because of our liberty and our freedom. We do not be men and women who think, well, I'm free, I'll do whatever I want. That's not it. But instead, we avoid the desires of the flesh as we walk and keep in step every single day by the Holy Spirit. You see, folks, Paul is, is abundantly clear here. If we believe that the Christian life is all about me, then we've gone completely wrong. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. When we are saved, we are renewed in body, mind, and spirit. We have been gifted by God, the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us. We do not walk through the Christian life on our own. And so every day, as believers tempted to drudgery and taking on the chains again, every day as believers who, who like to think that there's nothing good in this life and I'm so sad and it's poor me all the time, every day as believers we get ourselves up out of our bed, we pour our faith into the lives of others with love abounding and we walk every step by the Holy Spirit. This is the Christian life. And it is a war, folks. Please do not mistake that. It is a constant battle. Paul, throughout his writing, makes that clear. Read him in Romans. 
He calls himself a wretched man. He, he doesn't do the things that he wants to do. He knows that there's this constant battle every single day. He says that the desires of the flesh, verse 17, are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. See, the Christian life is not an easy life. But it is a free life. It is a life of liberty. It is a life of the Holy Spirit. And it is a life where you and I, saved by grace, must be prepared every single day to do battle with the desires of the flesh and to stand once again refusing to submit to the yoke of slavery. Folks, how do we do that? It's a long week every single week. How do we do it? Well, we do it by immersing ourselves in the Word of God. We do it every single day by spending time in prayer. We do it by being in this place when, when the Word is open, when the Bible is open, we're, we're here. I know sometimes the sun's shining and we want to go to the caravan, but this should be a, a moment in your life that you do not miss. And there I said, folks, and I'm confident, I'm here 11 years now and entering into my 12th year, I'm confident that this year coming, number 12, we're going to see revival in the evening worship services. You're all thinking, it's never going to happen, Scott, but I believe it. It's going to happen some year. It's going to happen some year where the penny will drop and you will believe, I need more of the Word. I don't need half an hour. I need an hour. I need study during the week. I need Christians and fellowship around me. I need time praying with one another. Folks, we need each other. The Christian life is a battle and the works of the flesh are always crouching at the door. Paul tells us what they are. Verses 19, 20, 21. And he warns us that those who are involved in such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we read it and we think, well, that's okay, Scott, because, well, I don't do sorcery. I'm not involved in sexual immorality and I don't drink. So I'm not into drunkenness. But Paul also says... Jealousy is evidence that you are not walking with the Spirit. Fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions, aren't those the main problems in the church today? Gossiping and slander and, and chat behind the scenes and rumors and you believe whatever you hear and you, you stop talking to people and you think, well, they're not talking to me and I don't know why, what's that about? Folks, if we're involved in that, then those are sure signs that that maybe we're not doing all those bad things, but all of this stuff applies to us, and we need to run to Jesus. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control against such things, says Paul. There is no law. And so, brothers and sisters, here is our life. Here is the next 12 months at Eden Grove Presbyterian Church where you and I joined together Men and women saved by grace and faith in Jesus, refusing to fall back onto the yoke of slavery, refusing to allow room for the enemy in this church, helping each other in our walk, loving each other, going the extra mile for one another, being men and women who, who seek to pray together more often, who want to sit onto the word together more often, who want to walk together through life as the Spirit works more often. Folks, there's the path in front of us. Not law-keeping, endless drudgery where it's you and your obedience and God-willing, fingers crossed, you might be saved. But rejoicing in the gospel of grace that sets us free from such things. And 
creates a radical difference in our lives. And you see, there should be a radical difference in the Christian's life. Those who belong to Christ, says Paul in verse 24, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we die to self and we follow Christ. Folks, that's how we are to live as we have responded to this gospel of grace. And if we live by the Spirit, then we keep in step with the Spirit, not becoming conceited at provoking one another or envying one another as the passage ends, but loving one another. Imagine if they could say that about our fellowship at Eden Grove as September appears on the horizon. Imagine that was what was said about all the churches in Ballinahinch as another church year begins. Maybe people would look at us and wonder what the difference is, wonder why these churches don't fight like many other churches they've heard of. of. Why do these Christians not seem to be always angry that other Christians I see all over the place? And maybe by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in our church and in Ballinahinch, the answer is because we are keeping in step with the Spirit day after day after day. Folks, this is the only way to live. Christ has set us free and we are to stand firm, therefore, and not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Folks, time is away. And I do want you to get 20 minutes on the beach today. I do want you to spend a wee bit of time in your vest in the garden. But let me just finish by saying this. Some of you have heard this being preached. Some of you are doing your duty as a good Presbyterian and you'll go home and someone said, are you a Christian? Yes, because I go to church. But you're not. You're really not. You're still under that yoke of slavery. And hopefully you have heard the gospel time and time again in this church. We'll hear it once more as the summer comes to a close. Finish this summer not under the yoke of slavery. Finish this summer not as a man or woman who hopefully because of your goodness or works or abilities, thinks that they might one day possibly get to heaven. Friends, Christ sets sinners free. Christ breaks chains. And he doesn't do it with bolt cutters or or a hammer and sickle. He does it because he died on a cross to make an end to your sin. And so for you today, it's time for those chains to be broken. It's time to stop endlessly living on Sinai. So friends, come. And through faith in Christ, come and have a new address on Zion. For freedom, Christ has set us free and he will do it for you as well. If you will but believe. Amen. And we thank God today for Galatians 5.